0: The essence of what we do man pursuit and tackle i'm telling you honestly i'm doing this because it actually does help you with injury if we do it the right way we're not gonna do it every day but i got a plan i swear to you all i think about is you guys that's all i f- think about is you guys and how i set you up for the best possible advantage i can give you to have a season i swear to you man i just need you to trust me that's all please let's be better tomorrow
1: Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield & Company.
2: Let's talk some NFL. Let's talk college football, UNLV. Caleb is up with us. Caleb, I can't remember. Are you a Hard Knocks guy or not?
3: I am a, a latecomer to Hard Knocks. Okay. I, I don't watch them like as as frequently as I used to, but right. I, I will watch them all like at the end of it you know, just to, so I can, I don't, there's no spoilers. I guess I just watch them straight through.
2: So we've been playing a lot of the speeches from Dan Campbell. And that was a lot of, he's a Lions coach Detroit's featured. Um, there's a lot of them. Did you like impassioned, you know, yelling guys uh, both, you know, hard on you, but also on the verge of tears or were you more of the, Hey, be cerebral coach and so just talk to me like that.
3: I was more of a cerebral guy. Like I liked, I enjoyed like the the meaningful conversations that were deep and, you know, uh, made me think about the game differently which, you know, passionate coaches can get there I guess in a way um, but I understand how for other people playing in other positions really is how it boils down that the kind of emotional passion um, how it was necessary, you know, you're about to go there and smash helmets with guys for you know four quarters, you need, you know, a little bit more of an emotional type of rah-rah, rally-up cry you know, so I, I understood that so I never, you know, didn't like it, I just kind of took what I could from it and, you know, try to make space for the more cerebral, I guess, conversation, which is a good way to put it, I guess. Um, But no, I, I, I've had both. I've had pretty much the full gambit of coaching styles um, throughout my career. Um, And it's just, it's just a matter of taking what you need from it. And the best coaches know how to get, you know, the players, the message across the best way. Sometimes it's different. Some games there's emotion, sometimes they're not. Um, But yeah, I, I, I'm definitely down with both styles. So let's talk about
2: camps in general. Right? The Raiders may move back to Napa in the future. Napa is not going to have the same facilities as the Henderson facility. Uh, you said something really interesting off the air, and I want to bring it to the air. You were talking about when the Rebels used to work in the preseason in Illy, and you mentioned the advantages of the facility, the Fertita facility, but the biggest thing was
3: post practice treatment. Yeah. Yeah, so it was it, one of the benefits now. The Rebels stay in Vegas now, obviously, for camp. Um, but, you know, while there's benefits to going up to Ely, which we did, the facilities there were kind of makeshift facilities um, as far as getting in pre-practice for tape and, and dress and things like that, stretch. Um, and then after practice for the ice baths and the recovery element of it. And it was one of those things that I, as we we're watching practice, you and I are watching out at UNLV at the Fatita Football Complex, um, and the guys are going straight from the practice field, walking through the double doors and they're on the stretch table. They're in the pool, uh, the recovery pool, the cold tub, and it's all right there. They're getting you know, the massage therapy, the, uh, the electric shock therapy on their muscles so kind of it, it, there's and it's right there. Whereas you know in Ely, God bless a small town, I loved it up there. But, you know, there's three or four benches to get tape done before practice. And if you weren't on time, you just couldn't get your tape done in practice. Or (laughs) same thing with after practice with stretching and getting treatment on, you know, your nicks and and bruises from practice. You had to wait in a line that was about 40 minutes long to get treatment. Then you missed the bus Ah. and you have to walk across town to get to, to, you know, to lunch after practice. And so it, it was just it was the chaos of, you know, trying to escape the heat, which you understand. Um, but you don't get the full benefits of, you know, a home facility, especially not the way that the Fatita Football Complex is set up. And I was kind of just marveling at how how machine-like it was and how quick guys were in and out of tubs and onto the stretch table and gone about their business, headed upstairs to go watch film. Definitely an advantage of staying home for camp instead of having to pack up and basically construct a makeshift facility at a, a different location. I know a lot of teams do it. I know, you know, the Cowboys do it. The Raiders will likely be doing, like you said, it will never be the same as having your home base be uh, ground zero for your camp. And I think you get more out of it doing it that way, and the way the Rebels are doing it, where they're having everything happen right here at home, so everything's a lot more convenient to, to get done. Is that just a question of staffing? Like, if they just brought more trainers or whoever along with them? No, it was it was just the facilities couldn't handle. In the case of Ely, it was like, like it's a small town. I mean, White Pine High School up there. <laughs> graduating class of and i'm not exaggerating about 13 like that it, <laughs> they played eight-man football up there the, the facility i don't even get eight made <laughs> i don't i don't know it's it, everybody's playing two ways i like it, it's one of those things where it's like the facilities they had you know the high school gym that they had it was it was great maybe for them but when you got a full division one football team and training staff trying to squeeze basically into these smaller facilities and it really showed up in the weight room right like when we'd we'd have our weight room lifts we had to break our weight room schedule into like six different groups whereas you know usually it's just two it's just the offense and the defense maybe four you go offense small guys offense big guys and vice versa for defense but there it was like quarterbacks you lift at 6 a.m receivers you lift at 7 a.m uh left side of the line or the guards you lift at it was like so inconvenient for the (laughs) system of things because it just wasn't big enough. There wasn't enough space up in Ely. And like I said, the weather was great. Um, it was quiet. We got out of town, away from distractions and all those good things. But sometimes it put us in a bind with what we were capable of doing with the facilities that we had at our disposal up in Ely. And I, looking back at it, I'm like, man, how much of camp was just such a drag because it wasn't convenient? And looking at tita it's all convenient. It's just, It just all seems so easy. Everything, film, weight room, training room. All of it's, you know, study, if you're taking summer school classes, all of it's right there in the same building. You know, hang out, watch TV. You don't have to leave. You don't have to go anywhere, you know, to rest or relax. It's all right there. Um, you know, we had to walk across town to the La Quinta to take a quick nap before practice number two. And that's that's just the way it was up in Ely.
2: Caleb Herring, former Rebel quarterback analyst on radio, is with us. Caleb's done a really good job up on his uh, Twitter account, Caleb Herring underscore, of uh, breaking down the quarterback. So, Couple weeks in, let's let's talk about the quarterbacks and and what we're seeing and some points on each guy. I know last week on the air and then a little bit on some of the uh, Twitter chatter. Uh, you think Doug Brumfield is ahead in the race for the starting quarterback position? And I think that's based on some things that you're seeing in practice in terms of maybe order and then also command and kind of pacing of Doug in
3: practice. Absolutely, I think he's in, in this. Most of our, the practice that we watch is the individual periods. Um, and so a lot of that, just from experience, is getting reps and taking uh, whoever steps up to take the first reps is going to take the first rep during the individual portion of practice. Um, lately, as of late, I've been seeing Doug hopping up to the front, um, and I, that may be more of his decision to try to separate himself as a leader and take those first reps, um, as well as going with receivers. He's always trying, and it's, it's deliberate. You can see he's trying to throw to the guys who are, are – Pretty much clearly the number one guys at receiver, right? So he's throwing to Kyle Williams, he's throwing it to Seneca, he's throwing it to, to you know to Justin, uh, or excuse me, to Jeff Weimer, uh, Weimer, excuse me, Weimer. He's throwing it to Jeff a lot. He, he's getting the guys um, in individual drills. Those, I guess, one reps with those with those. Um, he's throwing against Noel Williams, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then there's also a little bit of separation. Um, I guess the the reps are divvied up pretty evenly for the most part when they go into any team portion, but Again, it's one of those things where it's like is Doug's demeanor kind of trying to separate himself because he's trying his hardest to get in those one reps. And it's clear watching that he's he's been trying to be in the one rotation more often than not. Um, and that's that's what I've observed. And I, I think that's a good thing for him, even if it is just him individually taking the uh, responsibility or the task of being number one. At least so people see it as him being number one. He's done that pretty consistently. He's the first guy across the field to the next drill. Um, and and he's trying to be the leader of the team. And you you look for things like that as a coach throughout practice where you say, hey, you know, the guys are taken to him because he has that leadership mentality, that be the first one there mentality, and it goes a long way towards your teammates as well, seeing that example of, you know, you hustling over and and being the first guy to start the drill and high-fiving guys as they run into the drill and, and trying to get the fire going that way. So I've definitely seen that from Doug trying to separate himself as the number one guy.
2: That's funny that you noticed that because uh, yesterday at practice I was there, you weren't, and I did notice uh, Brumfield uh, run over on the one-on-ones, and then I heard, I think it was Brumfield, say, let's go, come on. You know, like not, not in that tone. He doesn't speak like me, but was like, let's go. we You know, let's hurry up. Let's hustle. Um, and that's really what they want in practice. They don't want any lethargy, and, you know, Arroyo's really big on that. I like Cameron Freel a lot, and I feel like Cameron Freel could be the number one guy But what have you noticed in terms of some of those individual drills and him throwing?
3: Well, I've noticed one great improvement from year one to year two, and that's a testament to him and how he focused in the offseason. And this goes to things about his footwork, his urgency in the pocket, his urgency getting the ball out. Um, If you remember, there's a few times last season where I would comment during games where it's, that ball's a tick late and it's because he's comfortable in the pocket he's relaxing he doesn't have the urgency to get it out quick get it to his receiver so they have space to run there's things like it'll be a completion um, but instead of it being a completion with some yards after catch it turned into a completion tackled at the spot of the catch type of thing um, and that was a lot to do with him getting the ball out to his receivers quicker um, but what I've noticed this year is his footwork his and his mechanics are a lot more honed in most of the time and he's He's probably the most urgent of the quarterbacks as far as getting the ball, getting it out, um, a snappy release, footwork's pretty much always going at practice. Um, so that, that's a, a, a testament to his work that he put in during the offseason. The, the downside that I've seen with Cameron is that there's still a little bit of inconsistency throwing the ball down the field. Um, and there's times he threw a back shoulder. And I think you posted it on your social. He threw a back shoulder fade to Kyle Williams. That was like pro level, like the placement, the velocity on the ball was just like you can't throw a back shoulder fade any better down on the red zone, which is where he it was a touchdown that he completed Kyle Williams. And then he'll throw a ball like we saw in the beginning of camp. That's, you know, 10 feet over the guy's head on on a hitch route. And it's like, ah, come on. And those reps really make it hard to say he's the guy for me Um, because the consistency. And I've said this throughout camp that what will separate one of the quarterbacks is being consistent. Um, I think the best of Cameron Friel at times is, is better than, than Doug or Harrison. Um, but then he has a little bit more of the, the fall offs right now, at least what I've seen in practice. And there, there's a whole lot more practice that, you know, I don't have the information on. But based on what we see, I think he, his consistency still needs a little bit of work. And that's he's the youngest of the bunch. So it's expected of the three, I should say. Um, so it's expected that he'll still have to work through some consistency and the maturity and you forget how old he is because of how mature he is and his demeanor off the field and, and things like that. But I think he's, he still has progress. And the beauty of it is, like I said, he's younger, so there's more time for him to come along in his development. Um, but I, I would say Cameron Frill is a lot better than he was last year. And you know you know what he did last year. You know what he was capable of And, and glimpses. Um, just say that that's a little bit better this year. Um, and I think he's, he's capable of being a starter. And I, like I said, I could be wrong. But I think Cameron Friel is, is right there on the cusp of, of turning that corner and getting the consistency down that he would need to be the starter for the Rebels. Then there's Harrison
2: Bailey, the transfer from Tennessee. And I think a lot of fans saw Tennessee transfer. And they're like, hey, it goes right to the top of the depth chart. I don't know if that's the case. I still think there's a learning curve here. It looks like you can do a lot of the things the other guys can. But as we've talked about, learning an offense and We've had multiple players in multiple positions say, hey, the UNLV offense is pretty intricate, including Bailey, who said it's actually more intricate than the Tennessee offense. And I know people scoffed at that, but there is a lot to learn in this offense, and that might be the one thing that could be uh, keeping Bailey slightly behind the other two.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that's you hit the nail right on the head with that. I think UNLV and Coach Arroyo and his staff, their offensive system is... And it's really hard to explain this. It's a, it's a pro-like system in that the players are asked to know and understand football at a high level. Um, they're asked to do a lot of on-the-field adjustments. They're asked to um, really understand coverages and schemes at a different level. And I think where college has trended over the past decade or so, college. And you, you can ask anybody who, who's made the transition from college to the pros, the play calling, uh, the, the the schemes that are run are very much plug and play in college at this point. And we talk about guys that are system guys. And I think you can go back to the Chip Kelly days at Oregon. It's kind of where this started, where it's like very easy to just get lined up and run the play because it's all kind of laid out for you. That the, the language and everything is easy. Whereas Arroyo and his staff put together an offense that from the outside looking in, is complicated. If you don't know it, you know, inside out and backwards, it may be a little bit hard to actually execute it at full speed. A lot of the guys... Uh, Doug and Cameron included, have had a couple of years to digest it and to you kind of master it, if you will, um, just the language of it and kind of know what Coach Roy is looking for. Harrison, unfortunately, hasn't had that. Um, and it shows at times with his inability to go full speed or just make the throw, just cut it loose. Um, and I think maybe that you know, could be working against him here in camp in, in some ways. But there's other ways where I've seen that he's grown and developed and shown what he could do. Um, and one of the biggest things he's done so far is connect on deep balls. He's connected on big plays to a multitude of receivers. Um, and that's what Coach Roy has been saying has been missing from the scheme hmm. as far as executing that is connecting on deep balls, um, creating explosive plays in the passing game. And Harrison's done that. I think he's, he's connected on more deep balls than anybody that I've seen um, out of that quarterback bunch. And it he, he showed up on his Tennessee film as well, uh, as well that he throws a really nice deep ball. He has an understanding of the touch and spacing and the timing of the delivery, the arc of the ball, all of that, it it looks effortless when he's throwing that deep ball. Um, So how much does that figure? How much does that help him out? Um, But the quarterbacks, all of them are being asked a lot of them. Um, And it's almost over like consistently, but from coach Arroyo, from coach holds, they're consistently being asked to do a lot at quarterback and that's to simulate how much they're going to have to do on Saturdays uh, to run the, to run the ship. So, um, they're all getting if Whether they realize it or not, they're getting some intense coaching that you don't get these days at the college level in most universities. Um, so I think all of them should appreciate it. Um, at this point, maybe it's a little bit overwhelming for them that they're getting this level of focus and attention to detail. But it's making them better overall. So for whatever their future is, whether it's the starter or the backup role, whatever happens, they're going to be better quarterbacks for the coaching that they're getting, um, for the language that they're speaking in this offense um, they'll be prepared down the road when it is their time to become the starter.
2: Caleb, great job. I'll talk to you soon. That was excellent. Good quarterback breakdown. This is the uh, the real big race on this team that everyone's paying attention to. So uh, appreciate what you're doing with us here on air and also on social media. Thank you. All right, guys, no problem. Have a good one. Adam Hill is here. Cofield, Ari, just getting up to the halfway point of the show. On the way back a little more on Hard Knocks. This is a very fired-up Lions team, and I do want to play you some of the audio, and it really has me thinking, can you be good at a job, like really good at a job, if you don't care to the point where, like when you care about a job, like you get so frustrated or so high when you do a good job, you could be on the verge of tears either way. Join
1: the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Let's go! The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy Uh, on Cofield and Company. company.
2: So we've been chatting about hard knocks. We don't want to ruin the show for you. Check it out. Not everyone gets to watch it on the night of. Every Tuesday, Lions are featured this year. We knew coming in, Dan Campbell's a really interesting guy, former tight end in the NFL and highly charged guy. We saw him last year in press conferences going you know, wild whether it was really fired up or you know starting to cry, and he talked about biting kneecaps when he got the job. He's an interesting guy. We'll get to the staff. Clearly, he's got some guys on the team who also think the same way. Um, I didn't know this about Jamal Williams, but I, I like him. Um, former BYU guy, uh, or you know, running back on the team, and man, he was getting worked up. And you know, after you go through a year where you're three and fourteen, you're back in camp, you're working your butt off. Uh, he wanted to get the message through. I freaking love this.
1: Well, i let y'all know, man, today is the minimum of effort. Do not give up. Do not feel like you're tired. Were you tired? Think of last year and think of that f-ing record. Every time I get tired or I think I can't go no more, I
0: think of that f-ing record. It's
2: a good start. I, th- I thought it was a bit much. Okay, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. And this is what I wanted to ask you earlier. You, know, you were talking about Lycan like, Campbell, like are there a point where like people get so emotional and so fired up where you're in the group and you're like, "Bruh, calm down. Yeah. Cause I I don't, I, that, that right there, I, from a player, I would love finish the second part.
1: Last year wasn't it. That ain't us. We can make it. Have some heart. I get emotional about this. I'm about to cry because I care about y'all
0: do your best. Let's go. Oh, he wasn't about to cry. He cried. No, that wasn't from Hard Knocks. That was, I think that was a documentary on the battlefield, like in Fallujah. Like, Come on, man. I,
2: I, that wasn't it. I we can make it. Right? That ain't it. I actually... I We're going to out, die out here. I sent out the We're video earlier, to, and it's, it's a joke, but we don't have a 5.30 guest today, and I was like, we need to watch this every morning, because we can make it. That ain't it. I think of that show Monday. It was terrible. Like, I, Okay, settle down.
0: It's going to be okay. I, I love that. The whole, I mean, I... I'm I think I'm closer to that than
2: I'd like to believe in, you in are. the midst
0: of competition. You are
2: you 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 try to play this baseline guy, but your inner drive you are <laughs> a lun you're a lunatic. Of course. But- but- otherwise you wouldn't work 18 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, yeah, I'm going on a vacation. I gotta write five stories. Like, you're on vacation. Right. But but but, but you care. You care about the paper. Right. You care about Cofield and Company. Yeah. So you're in Like, if you're gonna do it to me, like do it.
0: Right, but I like the whole time, and this is this is definitely insecurity too coming through. That I feel like I'm closer to that than I'd want to believe. But the whole time I'm watching that, and I'm I'm sure it's true. All I was thinking is they are going to roast this dude. They're going to the, everybody's going to be walking around the locker room like, oh, I'll I I'll care about the record man. They're going to be every time they walk by, they're going to be making fun of him for it. So like I like that part, I can't handle. So like I can never be that person. You know, I liked it. It's a lot. Yes. It's a
2: lot. It's uh, it's training camp, man. Well, I mean, they apparently and again, this is stuff that's kind of plucked from the show. I don't think they're doing this all the time, but I was a little surprised. Like, we're watching practices of two different football teams in town, Raiders and UNLV, and like I don't see freaking break in half tackling going on. What what was going on at Lions Camp? It's like the beginning of the camp. Getting ready for yeah. Just trust that I'm having what's best in mind for Just you. Thudding this each is other, for you. Like, uh, make it to the season. That's all right. They got the guardian cap. They'll be, a, they'll be fine. Which, by the way, that whole, like the, <laughs> I, I understand that was a, a PR move for the NFL, but people complaining about it, saying it was heavy or like, and like, it's a freaking pad on your helmet. Relax. Settle down.
0: It's less than a pound, by the way. I, I well, held one.
2: I'm going to, I'll give you my prediction, my determination from what I saw last night. And Again, It's one episode. I actually don't like a lot of what I saw on that. Oh, no. I don't know. Like, I think there's always this push. There's always this push for teams that are on hard knocks. Like, hey, they're going to be a little bit – even, especially the crappy teams. Like, what are the Lions? Five, five and a half win total? Yeah. I think there's going to be this push where people are like, you know, they got some players. They're fired up. I like all the the uh, coaching – you know, uh, former player experience on the coaching staff. Like, there was a lot of stuff I didn't like seeing. And while I like a player – Being like that, I don't think the coaches can be like that
1: all the time. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. (laughs) You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I don't care if the sun don't shine. So we were talking earlier
2: in the the show about Marshawn Lynch. We're still waiting on more details about his arrest yesterday. He was actually on the side of the road with... The left side of his car, the tires just destroyed. One was flat, one was basically on the the rim and the wheel well. So real close to there is the stratosphere. And we got the news today that there's gonna be a top golf competitor. Atomic range. Hmm? Something with a similar theme. Did you see where it's going? No. So I was thinking, again, I drive through this area all the time. Um I was thinking across from the Strat, because it said adjacent to the Strat, and I was watching one local newscaster say across from the Strat, and I'm like, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, if you've driven down across from the Strat, they've cleared a lot of land out, kind of at the end of Paradise. as Paradise kind of loops past, uh, goes past Sahara, right? And there used to be all those like massage parlors and there's a couple doctors and dentists and stuff, but all the buildings are all abandoned. Um They've cleared out a bunch of the land there, and I was thinking it was going to go across the street from the Strat, but it's actually, as you look at the Strat, Adam, if you look to the right, they have a pretty big piece of property, and they're going to build it right in there, which that whole area could use revitalization. And I would assume property down there is cheaper than further south on the Strip. So I think it's really, I think it's exciting. I think they already, um, own, they already think they already own that land. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's basically it's. It, Kind of almost looks like a parking lot area there. Right. So, so yeah, so we're gonna have another uh, one, one of these big golf, you know, party, music, pool, bar setup thing. So that, that's good. We good. And hopefully the competition will drive prices down at both. Be good for the consumer. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. Have you been in the strat? Yeah. They did a pretty good job. I, I it looks it. much different inside.
0: Yeah, with their, uh, Actually, some of my friends got got rooms there when it was Lovers and Friends Festival, which was down the street mm-hmm. to have like a home base. And so got to walk around there a little bit and check out some of the revitalizations. I've been to the comedy club over there for some shows. It's good. I like to see all the construction. New new things are good. I enjoy it. They are. How often do you go to Top Golf? Quite a bit, actually. Do you hit every time? Uh yeah. I'll usually I'll usually get a couple swings and I, I definitely will hit until I get a good one. Exactly. <laughs> Last time it was two.
2: <laughs> hit hit a bad one and then a great one and I said, "All right, I'm good." That was it. As soon, <laughs> as soon as you yep, hit a good one, you're good. Done. I'm good. Yeah, I've only hit a few times there. I've been in there for other events. It's very cool. So if Atomic Range is anything like Top Golf, which I assume it is, but not, do you I aim? Gonna be, I don't aim. I just try to hit.
0: Try oh to no, hit, I try hit to hit out. the
2: targets. No, just try to hit it out there. I try to hit the targets. The problem is it. the only the, like the the one time I played and was competing. Um, it was with uh, the SO's cousin, was in town, and he's about my age, a little bit younger, uh, Temecula guy. And like, I had no idea that he's, he's, I mean, he's not great at golf, but he's probably like an 84, 85 golfer. So, whatever, whatever the handicap is there, you know, he's probably like a 12 or 13 handicap. Yeah. So I get up and I'm hitting, I'm like, I'm, I'm okay, but you know, like now I just pull everything. You know, people to be able to shoot in the 90s, I'm not good. And then he gets up there, he's a lefty, and it's just like everything's like precise, perfect swing. I'm like, I, well, you, I got freaking sandbag here. I'm sure you can probably guess what my issue is with top golf. And it's for the most part, you go,
0: everybody just takes turns hitting five shots. Yeah. But then it's always, ah, let me you get another one. And it's like, no, that that that's counting on my score. And then, oh, this guy just walked in. He's gonna hit a couple. It's mine. But this, R- rules is, this guy. counts on my points. R- rules guy. What are you doing? Like if, <laughs> if it tells you it's your turn, it's your turn. There's a structure to the game. They're, they they literally make it easy. Hey, this person's up. Like, oh no, Jimmy's gonna hit a couple. No, Jimmy can wait or get in his own game.
2: It's infuriating. I could tell. Yeah, you're getting pretty worked up. Uh, this Thursday, that's tomorrow, we're out at Silver Sevens three until six. By the way, that's gonna switch. We get two to five once Thursday night football is around for the NFL. A happy hour starts at three when we get there. 277 on the pints, the shots, the margaritas. Sign up for the A-Play card. You play the machines, you play the tables, you get lots of rewards. There's free giveaways almost every day of the week, including today, Wednesday. Great gas card giveaway. $50 gas cards go out after 6 every 15 minutes. So check it out. It's at Flamingo in Paradise. It's Silver 7's. Excellent spot. Great restaurant upstairs. Join the
1: conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co.
2: It's Colefield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas Back here on ESPN Las Vegas Conference realignment talk continues With all the uh, potential TV deals out there And you know we haven't had a chance to talk to folks From Arizona around the Wildcats program And Rich Herrera works for uh, 1290 the Wildcat In Tucson, worked with Rich uh, years and years ago Really good radio guy So you know before we get to all the conference realignment stuff I just wanted to ask you What's the vibe for this Arizona football season Because I thought they actually got going in the right direction last year you know what? Uh, new coach coming in
4: year two, and by the way, it's nice hanging out with you again. I miss you. We don't get a chance to talk know, that right? often. Uh, the talent level is tremendously better. They've turned over the roster like nobody else's business. They have the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12, so you see more talent, Steve. But will that translate to more victories? Is is the big question. So uh, you've got everybody that you got to take on in the Pac-12 but you start off the season on the road at San Diego state. That's going to be a tough game. Mississippi state comes in here. So you're going to have uh, Mike Leach bringing his pirate mentality to town. And then this is the one that's really going to be tough. North Dakota state, the best, uh, championship division team will come to Tucson. So even if Arizona is better talent wise, the beginning of that schedule is not easy.
2: Tell people about Jed fish. Cause kind of a non-traditional hire. He was more of a pro guy. He's actually a, a North Jersey guy. I'm from New Jersey. And, uh, you know fish, not that he came from out of nowhere, but it was a little bit unexpected with some West Coast candidates. So what do you think of him so far?
4: So he has brought energy, a level of energy and and he's tried to help catch this program up. They had a nice facility before, but it was it was just kind of plain vanilla. And he's tried to to upgrade everything from the facility to the way that they recruit to the social media. He's a great sales guy. And he's been able to sell kids on coming to Arizona and you can play right away, Steve. You don't have to sit behind three guys at USC and wait till your junior year to play. You can come play right away for the University of Arizona. He could sell them that if you come here, we know what it takes to get you to the next level. I work for the Patriots. I worked for the Rams. And he's leveraged that as much as he can. So they've had Steve Spurrier come out and talk. They've done video calls and they've had uh, uh, McVay come out and talk. They've had all these NFL coaches come out and talk. They've had Pete Carroll come and talk to the team. So it's really uh, invigorated the entire program. So I'll give you just a little side note. I was driving back from Pac-12 Media Day. I went by high school football practice in San Diego, and I just I just happened to have on a Block A shirt, and I walked on campus. I walked through the freshman. Freshman kids started yelling, bear down. Walked through the JV team. They start flashing the Wildcat hand gesture. I get to the varsity team. Guys are high-fiving me. They're all into Arizona football because he's done all the little things going out, being aggressive, recruiting like crazy, and now you're going to start seeing it pay off.
2: It's always been a great brand. It's certainly a great brand on the West Coast. So, What I want to find out today from Rich Herrera, who does radio in Tucson, is where are the fans right now? Are they freaking out about the possible uh, dissolution of the Pac-12? Do they want to be in a West Coast conference or are they really titillated by the possibility of going to the Big 12?
4: So, I think... Initially, everybody was shocked and all the early reports of the demise of the PAC-12 were greatly over-exaggerated. I think the people here in Tucson, they're proud to be members of the PAC-12. The program's proud to be members of the PAC-12. Remember, this is the school that turned it in from the PAC-8 to the PAC-10. And then you added on... the two mountain schools, Utah and Colorado, but for Arizona, it was the big difference separating them from New Mexico. New Mexico State is their competitive set and putting them on equal footing with Stanford, Cal, USC, UCLA. So there's always an affinity for the Pac-12. And I think now that we're starting to see everything was a little bit overblown, Steve, people are pretty confident around here that the conference is going to stay together and Arizona fans are happy about that. Uh, we're going to lose a little bit. You're going to lose that UCLA-Arizona basketball rivalry, and I've already started telling the athletic director here, we need to make sure you keep that going as a non-conference game if you can. But I think the folks in Arizona are just kind of waiting. To just kind of to they'll, they'll just see what's happening. And as the tea leaves are, are, are being a little bit more clear today, I think we realize that the, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are going to keep fighting, but the Pac-12 is going to be okay.
2: Are Arizona and Arizona State bonded together?
4: Yes, absolutely. So Arizona is the flagship of the state university system. There's only three. There's Arizona, Arizona State, and Northern Arizona. And the political folks here couldn't see the two of them split up. So I think there's there's been no talk of one bolting without the other. Be honest, they need each other. Down here in Tucson, smaller media market, we need to be attached to Phoenix, bigger media market. Phoenix, Tempe needs to be attached down here because they have no marquee National brand for basketball or football. The biggest national brand in the state of Arizona is basketball, so they need each other.
2: So let's talk about what's been going on the last couple of days with the Big Ten and ESPN. It looks like ESPN is out on the Big Ten. Uh, they were presented an offer really for, I think, the second uh, of three Big Ten games, like seven years, $380 million. It's a gigantic Rise up. They're very much in ESPN is with the SEC. Is ESPN being out of the mix actually a really good thing? I'm talking about with the Big Ten. Is that a really good thing for the Pac-12? Oh, it's a saving
4: grace. It's Steve, it's absolutely the saving grace of this university, of the Pac-12. It it gives a lifeline like uh, Arizona in, in this conference really, really needed. So let me back up for just a second. You and I both have done a lot of national radio. And both of us are West Coast guys, so we get that West Coast bias. So when UNLV plays 7, 8 o'clock games, people out here complain, oh, nobody could see us around the country. Same thing out here. Uh, Roxy Bernstein coined the phrase Pac-12 after dark, and it's it's kind of been the, the thorn in the side of the conference forever. You know what? We get stuck playing these 7.30 games. Nobody in the East Coast can see it. Well, it turns out that's going to be the saving grace of this conference because ESPN uh, or a Fox or a CBS need – a late West Coast game. There's four television windows, and I I know you know this, but for your listeners, there's for us out here on the West Coast, there's a 10 10 o'clock slot, there's a 1 o'clock slot, there's a 4 o'clock slot, and there's a 7 o'clock slot. The Pac-12 is the only Power 5 conference that can fill that 7 o'clock slot for ESPN or Fox Sports 1 or whatever. So Pac-12 after dark actually makes the Pac-12 valuable for 7 o'clock starts out here on the West Coast. That's why having espn out of the big 10 business having nbc go in there they're going to slot uh notre dame football uh for an evening game and they'll have that 12th they'll have that uh, earlier no i'm sorry backwards they'll have the notre game notre dame game midday they'll have a a, a a Football Night in America Saturday game to go along with their their Notre Dame coverage. CBS will get in there and they'll put in that 12-30 game that was traditionally a, uh, an SEC game. Now that's going to be a Big Ten game. Sorry all these conferences are confusing me but that opens up a window that you need the 4 o'clock starts uh, East Coast uh, the, and the later starts and only the Pac-12 can deliver that.
2: This TV deal gets done. It holds together the Pac-12 for at least a couple of years, you know, the near future. In your mind, what is the biggest threat out there? Who is the biggest threat in terms of potentially lopping off more schools from the Pac-12? Is it the Big Ten making a decision on Notre Dame and then moving on Oregon and Washington or Cal and Stanford? So from what I've been
4: told, the Southeastern Conference sits pretty right now. Uh, they've got a ton of money. They're going to bring in $100 million at the end of this contract. They'll start at $75 million per. But there's a lot of traditional. So I worked down in the Southeastern Conference territory. I live down in Florida. The folks down there love the tradition of college football, and they don't want to be the conference that ruins and has everybody pointed them for being greedy. They already get beat up enough because they're so dominant. They don't want to destroy college football as we know it. Now, if somebody else does and they get fatter, that's okay. So if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be either the Big Ten trying to get bigger, trying to poach away a Washington, Oregon, or get Notre Dame to finally climb into bed with them, or... And this is where you heard all the shots coming out from the commissioner of the Pac-12 towards the Big 12. The Big 12 needs to shore up everything about that conference. You take out Texas and Oklahoma, they're only averaging about 900,000 viewers per game. You take out USC, UCLA, the Pac-12 still does over a million, almost a million and a half viewers per game. So the Big 12 needs to do something. To, to ensure their livelihood in the future. So if anybody's going to make a run at the at the Pac-12, it's going to be the Big 12 simply because I don't know if they think they can survive without getting bigger, fatter, stronger, or whatever. So their natural target would be the teams out in the West Coast.
2: Rich Herrera, radio guy in Tucson, talking Arizona football, Pac-12, all the realignment, the TV talk you were at, the media days. What's your early impression, your exposure? What do you think of George Kliavkoff, the commissioner?
4: Big fan of his big, big, big fan. I've, I've been a big fan of him since day one. Um, way, way back when, uh, when I, you and I used to work together, when I would fly out to Vegas every weekend to do shows, uh, I was also working for the Oakland A's. And we started the very first website of all the teams and had really the most robust website. We were doing streaming audio 20 years ago, streaming video. MLB Advanced Media came in and started MLB.com. George was on that team. So I've known about George's work for 20 years, saw what he did at Hulu, seen what he does in in Las Vegas. And he lives there in Sin City. We saw what he did working for the MGM Grant. He's a good guy, uh, smart man. Uh, He listens to people. He looks for as much information and he's kept his powder dry through all of this. Uh, you saw him get a little upset at Pac-12 Media Day after the Big 12 commissioner, the new one, goes, we're open for business. And then George pops back off going, well, we'll see if we're going shopping there or not. And in what he explained was the Big 12's been trying to, um, trying to destabilize the Pac-12 for the last 30 days. And he had just had enough of the shots. And he called them grenades from every spot of Big 12 territory coming out to the West Coast. And he said, I've had enough. And now he's fighting back. And he has a plan and they've got consultants and it's working out pretty well with the big 10 now out of business with the ESPN. ESPN has $350 million a year that they had earmarked for big 10. Now that comes available for the, uh, for the PAC 12.
2: So we're watching this real closely in Vegas. A couple of reasons. We've got a lot of PAC 12 partnerships. So we want the conference to stay together. So we get these big events like the PAC 12 uh, football title game. And of course the, the basketball tournaments, and there's other stuff on the horizon. Obviously, we've got the Las Vegas Bowl tied in with a Pac-12 partnership that rotates with the Big Ten and the SEC. So a lot of the talk here is, hey, with these two schools gone, L.A. gone, does the Pac-12 have a need for two or four more schools? So I want your realistic take on Vegas' chances. Who would the Pac-12 be interested in? Is San Diego State as much of a lock as they think they are? So...
4: I asked the commissioner about this, and you know what he's going to tell me. I had to ask the question. Um, He said, I can't comment on specific schools right now. So one of the problems, Steve, that I see for the PAC-12 conferences, it's been pretty snotty. It's been pretty bougie, to be honest. You've got the blue bloods like Stanford, and you've got California, the University of California. You've got the University of Southern California and UCLA. And they have a certain standard of academics, and they want to have the standard. They want to be blue bloods, you know. They want to be Ivy League type. So the Pac-12 would never think of letting in the unruly likes of San Diego State or UNLV because they just weren't up to that academic, Ivy, white collar type of a uh, type of situation. Well, then uh, the the traders and the backstabbers at USC, UCLA, bail out of them. So now these university presidents are having to look around like, OK, you can stick to your principles and be high minded and high and mighty when you have USC, UCLA in the conference. Now it's about survival. So maybe we will let the great unwashed masses into the Ivy League of the West. Uh, number one would be San Diego State, who's been trying to get in the Pac-12 for as long as Arizona's been trying to try to get into the Pac-12 Um The school, I don't know if you know this, Steve, uh, San Diego State for the longest time was voted uh, Playboy's number one party school. It's not that way anymore. I I just moved from San Diego a couple of years ago. It's actually, uh, if if you live in San Diego, 4.0 doesn't get you into San Diego State. It is a very, very competitive institution. The academics have gone uh, through the roof. It's expanded. They've got multi-campuses. They got their new stadium. If the Pac-12 can come off of their, their high horse, San Diego State makes a lot of sense. What's the other school? Because you need a partner to come in with them. I'm pushing Las Vegas because of the eyeballs, because of how fast Vegas is growing. And you've been there, what, 25, 30 years? You know what Vegas was like when we used to do shows from over at the uh, the MGM Grand at Mandalay Bay to where it is now. I don't even recognize it every time I come to town. Uh, George Klievkoff considers Vegas to be part of the Pac-12 footprint. Those of us at Tucson, we call uh, Vegas, Mikhail North cuz we usually come and invade when basketball tournament comes. UNLV makes a lot of sense. Now, the one thing that people will say, well, you know what, football hasn't been good, basketball hasn't been good in a while. I look at the bottle of Utah. Utah was just an okay f- program. When they joined the the Pac-12, Colorado was supposed to be the beast. Well, Kyle Whittingham was able to upgrade the facilities, he's able to upgrade everything by joining a power five conference. I think UNLV could do the same. The other two schools that you will look at Boise state, they don't have the eyeballs, uh, that you would have. And then Fresno state's the other one. And I, I grew up in the central Valley of California. The, the eyeballs don't match up Fresno from Sacramento down to Bakersfield, the way that you could get those eyeballs in Las Vegas and have the entertainment capital, of the world part of the PAC 12. I, I think that just makes more sense than anybody else. If, The blue blood presidents and and, uh, chancellors from the Pac-12 will will let their guard down and let someone like you and I be part of their Ivy League.
2: Last one, last minute here with Rich Herrera, who does radio in Tucson on uh, 1290, the Wildcat. I guess the one that could upset the apple cart is the rumor that was out there that San Diego State could be brought in uh, for everything and Gonzaga as just a basketball member. Does that seem odd to you? Could that happen?
4: Yeah, I don't think that would happen. Gonzaga's pretty happy where they are. Um, If they moved over, I don't know if it makes any sense for the Pac-12 to have 11 football schools and 12 basketball schools. So here's what I've learned. And and I just talked to the former president of Fox Sports uh, Network uh, on the program, and and I've been following, I think you should follow John Wilner from the San Jose Mercury News. John Canzano has had great reporting. If the Pac-12 is going to get $40 million a year per school under this new contract. Anybody I bring in has to generate more than that $40 million. Otherwise, I cut the pie uh, too thin. So if you bring in Gonzaga, can Gonzaga basketball bring in an additional $30 million a year to cover their own nut and increase the pot for the rest of the schools? Now, Steve, here's something that nobody else has talked about. The split revenue split for basketball versus football, because this has all been driven by football. Basketball's been in the second second share through all of this. The revenue split and the media valuation goes 70 30 football to basketball. So throw that into the equation. Would Gonzaga as a basketball only member bring in that 30% enough to cut them into the rest of the pie? I don't think so.
2: Uh, last couple seconds, tell Arizona fans, and there's lots of them here in Vegas where they can find your stuff.
4: Uh, Hey, if you guys want to follow us, you know what, we're streaming the show on YouTube now so you can see my pretty face for radio at Wildcats 1290. You can find me at RBI Rich and uh, we're trying to keep on top of all of this. You got to come on my show because I want to talk about uh, Vegas uh, UNLV and whether they're worthy of PAC-12 membership.
2: Let's do it. Let's book it soon. Thanks, Rich.
4: By the way, I just want to do that so I can do more road trips to Vegas. So come on, let's put the rebels into the uh, <laughs> into the Pac-12 so I can make more trips up there. Well, you know me.
2: I'm sure all the Pac-12 media wants Vegas in. There's no, there's no doubt oh, about that. More trips. Listen,
4: Okay, real quick before I let you go. Pac-12 media day. We're, we're in LA Live right across from the old Staples Center. Or crypto, they don't pay me, so I'm not giving their name. Yeah. The entire time, every media member is looking over at each other Go! thank God this is the last time we're coming to LA. We'll be in Vegas next year for media day. <laughs> Mark my words, UNLV is definitely a target.
2: Rich Herrera doing radio in Tucson with the Arizona side of things in Pac-12 realignment. Giveaway time, 364-1100, 364-1100. Call her 6 and 7, two tickets to Rob Zombie with Mudvayne and Powerman 5000. Rob Zombie in town at Ultra Arena on Saturday. Grab your own tickets at AXS.com, but right now call our 6 and 7, 364-1100. Ari will hook you up with tickets to see Rob Zombie. More of Cofield and Company is on the way.